Body, Mind. Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, the Hour of Truth with Richard Lawrence and Grimpy Blade. A very warm welcome to our regular listeners and those who are new to Aetherius Radio Live, brought to you on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio every third Tuesday monthly at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. UK Time, and 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Aetherius Radio Live invites you to discover the cosmic message for this age revealed through legendary master of yoga and world-renowned medium, Dr. George King, between 1954 and 1997. As always, be prepared for another amazing show covering fascinating topics such as karma, UFOs, the Mother Earth, the New World, the Next Master, life on other planets, and much, much more. Today, on the Sirius Radio Live, your hosts, Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze, will be talking about the knighthood and consecration of His Eminence, Sir George King. So, without further ado, I give you Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Nikki, and great to be back on on, on air with you, Chrissy. It's been a few months yeah. since we've it both has, been together yeah. on air. Yeah, I know. Yeah. This is um, fantastic. Well, I just like yeah. to uh, say hi to you and to everybody listening today. Um, and I just wanted to say that over the years, as regular listeners will know, a serious radio live has been uh, broadcasting many different aspects of the life and works of our master, his eminence, Sir George King. But today, as Nikki mentioned, we're going to discuss something kind of more unusual, something we don't believe that has ever been discussed publicly, certainly not in depth, and that is the knighthood and consecration of his eminence, Sir George King. And I have to say that Richard is the best person to share this with you because of his deep connection with not only his eminence, but with both of these aspects, these very, very important topics, as you'll learn. Now, Richard, I wonder if you could begin by please explaining why we use the title, His Eminence, Sir George King, and what does it mean? Yes, Chrissy. thanks very much. And um, I, I must say that um, it's something we've been, I've certainly been asked to do over the years on many occasions by people because, as our listeners will all know, uh, generally speaking, we refer to our master as Dr. George King. And we're going to continue to do so, by the way, and that's how we will refer to him in, show, in shows on Ethereum Radio Live, on our website, in our books, and in many other places. But those who come to certain of our activities, who uh, worship in one of our churches or send out energy in those uh, p- uh, meetings, uh, perhaps come to a holy mountain for an official pilgrimage, perhaps read some of our in-house journals, for example, which everyone's welcome to do. There's nothing hidden about this, by the way, and that's one of the reasons for today's broadcast. Nothing secret about it or anything, but those who do will notice that in, when we're talking respectfully about our master, we do you call him his eminence, Sir George King. Now you might well say, well, why don't we do that all the time then? And the reason that we don't do it all the time is because it is quite contentious. And what I've found, certainly, in, in doing a lot of interviews and media broadcasts and so on, that if we go down that route the whole interview will get diverted into questions of knighthoods and so on. And that's not what we're here to do. I mean, this is an unusual program, and I'm very happy to be doing it. But our main purpose, and his main purpose, was to talk about the missions and teachings, not the pros and cons of various titles. However, there is a reason for it. It's not a secret reason. We're very happy to explain it, and that's really what we intend to do today. Well, thank you very much, Richard, for that explanation. (laughs) Now, I'm going to um, read from a description written, first-hand description written by His Eminence, as you know, Richard. Before I Mm. do, is there anything you'd like to to add about this? I would. I I would just like to say this, that 
certainly in this country and, and probably elsewhere, when we have on occasions referred to, to Dr King as Sir George King, of course an assumption is made, and you can understand why, that this has come from the Queen of England, because he was a British citizen. And that too is something we don't want to uh, convey. We don't want to give any false impressions at all. It's another reason why we don't use it too freely, uh, because people might think we're claiming that, and we are not claiming that. As a matter of fact, what we're claiming is something, with all due respect to Her Majesty, much higher than that. And that's really a, sort of my intro to the reading. I won't uh, take away from this, because I think it's best that you read it. And uh, the scene, of course, is... Are you going to set the scene, Chrissy, yourself, before you start your reading? I can set the scene, yes. Okay. And, and the, so that's the background to this. And this is the beginning and the root of the knighthood of His Eminence Sir George King. Thank you, Richard. The mystical event I'm going to read to you uh, was taken from a first-hand uh, article written by His Eminence Sir George King. And the event took place on December the 5th, 1978, when His Eminence was contacted by the spiritual hierarchy of Earth. And uh, this happened in connection with the mission which we've talked about on previous shows, Operation Sunbeam. As the designer, um, the spiritual hierarchy paid deference to him, as they do. They followed protocol and invited him uh, to a meeting. However, as you will hear, in this meeting, uh, something else happened. And this is what Richard was referring to, something very, very wonderful, something very mystical, and uh, you will hear more. So his eminence, when he was contacted, soon afterwards he left his body in a projected state, to make the journey to the mystical city of Shambhala, which is, we're told, a floating temple of light over the Gobi Desert. And uh, he was invited, as I say, to discuss Operation Sunbeam. And we learn from this wonderful article, which you can read yourself in Operation Sunbeam, God's Magic in Action, the assembly hall there was filled with members of the spiritual hierarchy. We can only imagine what that must have been like. And his eminence saw the adepts there, that's the three adepts, as well as three masters from Gotha, which again we've talked about in previous shows. And he said, suddenly a profound silence fell over the assembly. And I would like to carry on with this reading. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw the massive body of 003, Titan, as he rose to his full giant height as he felt, as indeed we all felt, a surge of spiritual power pervade the whole assembly. Because time out of the body is so valuable, I did not have long to wait for the next move. A great surprise to me. A tallish figure with a glowing countenance seemed to float rather than walk down the center aisle, and quickly without hesitation mounted the round dais on which I stood. I immediately recognized the elevated being who called himself Buddha in one incarnation upon earth and who had taken over the spiritual control of Shambhala when the Lord of the Flame of Venus, the Sanat Kumara, had to vacate this position by karmic law in 1956. In the full aspected body he now inhabited, the Lord Buddha stood almost seven feet tall with shoulders broad by terrestrial standards. He wore a shimmering golden robe, which at first glance seemed to be made of a metallic substance, and yet was not because of its smoothness and flexibility. As the lights in the assembly hall had now changed color, predominantly magenta, with every movement he made, his robe reflected not only the magenta, but other colors as well. If that beautifully cut garment was made of a woven material, then I have seen nothing like it on earth, because it seemed to glow or shine with a strange, scintillating light all of its own. As he looked at me, his eyes were darkish, very penetrating, and yet at the same time filled with compassion and understanding. <laughs> 
obviously reflecting the outstanding intelligence behind them. His hair was quite long, falling down almost to the shoulders at the sides, and longer than that in the back. Under the magenta light, it was difficult to tell the exact color of it, although I feel it was dark brown rather than black. He did not have a beard, and his skin appeared to be a light cinnamon color, as though tanned by ultraviolet radiation. He wore a large pendant around the neck, which hung down to the lower chest, just above, about over the mystical heart center. Beneath the robe and shining through it was a belt studded with many jewels, and the light from these jewels actually shone in a diffused way through the material which made up the long, shining golden robe. I could not see the belt well enough to give a much better description of it, though at the time I knew it to be a mark of elevated station, no doubt perfectly attuned to the wearer and probably obtained from his own planet, Venus, or maybe even given during initiation by the lords of Saturn. A great being, who, while serving an incarnation on earth as Buddha, in one of his lesser bodies, had sought and found wisdom and a way to teach mankind the road to contemplative peace and inner knowledge. It is said in cosmic mystical circles that he was the elder brother of the one who came after him and was known to mankind as Jesus. In many ways, there was some kind of similarity between the appearance of the Lord Buddha and the appearance of the Master Jesus, who I had the great honor to meet face to face on a small hill in the north of Devonshire in England on July the 23rd, 1958. Although the Master Jesus at that time was dressed in a different way, having traveled through space, the Lord Buddha this time was dressed in ceremonial robes. I could see several mystical symbols which seemed to be fashioned into the robe rather than embroidered on it. He was altogether a tall, scintillating, elegant being of deep wisdom and great spiritual powers. The Lord Buddha approached me and touched me three times, once upon the head and then upon the right shoulder and then upon the left shoulder. He spoke in a physical voice in perfect English, these most significant words. I thus initiate you as Grand Knight Templar of the Inner Sanctum of the holy order of the spiritual hierarchy of earth. After he had said these words, many white-robed figures appeared as from nowhere, and the dais on which we stood started to rotate slowly in a clockwise direction, while the figures moved around the outside of the dais in an anti-clockwise direction, chanting a very beautiful mantra. Then the Lord Buddha turned to me, and taking from around his neck the magnificent pendant, put it around mine, and stated, You will fashion yourself a device like this, and wear it during all your mystical ceremonies. I was greatly thrilled and overjoyed at this, but that was not all. He then leaned towards me and in a whisper said three sentences. Two of them I will not publish here, but the third one was a description of a symbol which I must, and it was more of an order than a request, wear upon my terrestrial robes in future. He then bowed with a grace born of countless centuries of pure breeding and culture, and moved away. I knew then that my part in this special assembly was over, 
and reluctantly and with a deep sadness prepared to return to the gross physical body. Chrissy, thank you for that beautiful reading. Um, oh. It's very moving to hear it again, I must say. Um, I do remember when that uh, occurred in, in 1978, and our dear friend Ray Nielsen, of course, was here at the time in England and was secretary and uh, receiving many calls uh, from Dr. King. And I do remember he phoned up Ray just after this, and his actual words to Ray were, guess who I saw on Shambhala the other day? <laughs> and uh, Ray didn't really know how to reply. But what was interesting, among the people allowed to attend that occasion was a, a gentleman who Dr. King had met who just recently passed on, who was a metaphysician uh, in England. And Ray and I both knew, and you knew actually, the name of Dr. Hall. And uh, I think he must have been there because only because of his, this is my opinion anyway, his um, connection that he had made with Dr. King just prior to that. But much more importantly, though, this is really where it all begins. And if I could take up the story from there, Chrissy. Oh, please do. Because, you know, what happens on the highest realms must sooner or later manifest in the more basic ones. And often it will take a very, very long time for that to happen on this earth. And in fact, it's still taking a long time for many things to manifest, which is very frustrating, I believe, for the higher um, guides and, and intelligences on the highest realms, as well as for some of us, I suppose, in a small way. Yeah. But in this case, though, it had to manifest. And I, I do believe it was a karmic uh, necessity in fact, uh, one evening, um, I think in 1980, later in, in the year, probably in the summer of 1980, uh, I was in Bournemouth with Dr. King and his wife, Monique, and with Ray, the four of us, having a dinner. And Dr. King did explain to us over that dinner that it was, uh, had been deemed essential that he, uh, for karmic reasons, received certain recognition while he was physically alive. And, you know, so often with an avatar, the recognition comes later, often sometimes a lot later. Uh, but in this case, some recognition was deemed absolutely essential for karmic reasons by the lords. And it, indeed, in this case, certain level of recognition, long, long way from what he should have received, by the way, but certain recognition did start to come to him. So the in the spring of 1980, uh, he was, took part in what is known as a Great White Brotherhood standby. And that's why, where he had to be in a certain position at a certain uh, time and a certain period uh, so that there could be a movement of forces of the spiritual hierarchy. And he and indeed other agents, karmic agents being in those positions, um, maintained a certain safety on this planet because we wouldn't last for more than minutes without these great masters, these ascended masters being among us. That's something we should remember every day. And in this particular case, he conducted this standby in Lake Powell and he was on his way back, I believe, and staying in a small desert town when he received communications, presumably of, of thanks, um, from two masters, two, greatest, two of the greatest of the ascended masters, one the Lord Maitreya and the other the master Saint Guling. But what he said was very interesting is that both of these masters in that communication in March of 1980 pointedly referred to him, and they hadn't done so ever before, as Sir George King. And in fact, he commented to some of the people who were with him at the time, I wasn't one of them, uh, and this is what he said, that this is done for a purpose. Somehow this is going to be brought onto the physical levels of this earth. And it must have been virtually days, if not weeks, after that, that he, from out of the blue, virtually, I and mean, he had no particular interest uh, in orders of chivalry or anything like it, uh, received an invitation from an order of chivalry through his very good friend at the time, Kevin, the late Kevin Quinn Avery, a numerologist, 
a brilliant numerologist, actually, who co-authored one of the books that uh, Dr. King wrote, The Age of uh, Ethereus. And this invitation came his way to be knighted into a branch of the Knights of St. John, uh, known as the Knights of Malta, the Order of St. John of Jerusalem. Now, one can get into a really arcane debate about the legitimacy of various orders. I mean, there, there are some who would not accept any orders at all unless they come from the Queen or another reigning monarch. Uh, and yet there are others who would say that really some of the reigning monarchs have, um, you know, uh, what's the word, propitiated? Is that, is that the word? They sort of used these orders to which they have actually very little connections themselves. I, we, we're not interested in really getting into that debate at all. But this particular branch, or Lang, as it's often called, of, this, of the Knights of Malta, of which there are many, some genuine, some not genuine, um, traced its lineage back to Russia, actually. Um, or through Russia, I should say. And the, 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 there are historians who can comment on the ins and outs of all that. But what was interesting, although he wasn't the grand master of this order, the royal protector of it, I think protector or patron, I'm not sure which, I think protector, was a man by the name of uh, Prince Henry the third Paleologo who traced his lineage back through uh, to the Byzantine Empire and had legal rights to, to bestow titles in certain places. And so he, which were recognized at one time by the Vatican and so on. As I say, one, this is one reason we don't do interviews on this, because one can get very distracted from the main essence of what was going on. What was going on was a move was being made to bring onto the physical realms this recognition, which he'd been given by the Kamara of Shambhala, the Lord Buddha himself, um, in the presence of the Ascended Masters. And I was actually uh, privileged to be there. It, well, there was a big ceremony in St. Patrick's, I think it's St. Patrick's Cathedral, I believe it's called, in New York. Um, and he was there dubbed by the, the head of this order at the time, who's no longer with us now. Not even sure that this order, what's happened to this particular lang or branch of the order, doesn't really matter. The point is, it was, it was bringing it onto the physical realm. And from there came an, a flood, I would say, of recognition from various orders. As I say, some very interesting, uh, some genuine, some not genuine, I would say, too. Um, as far as Dr. King was concerned, he didn't need them. And, of course, he made that clear. But he knew it was part of a plan. And I will say, he enjoyed it. Uh, he got pleasure from all this because it was a very different thing indeed. It didn't alter in any way, for the better or the worse, his mission, his teachings, uh, but this recognition started to, to come in. But what I would say to anyone who asked, where really does this knighthood come from? Why has he got the right to call himself Sir George? Personally, I wouldn't get into a debate about the rights and wrongs of various branches of the Knights of Malta or the Constantinian Order of St. George or some of the other orders that he did receive titles from. And I personally checked into Prince Henry in some depth with one of the heralds of, the, of Her Majesty the Queen as well, also assisting me in this, and also by visiting him in Malta and so on. But I wouldn't get into that. I would say, well, where he really comes from is from Shambhala, from the Lord Buddha. Yes. Well, thank you, Richard. Um, <laughs> we, we can understand why this happened and why it had to take place on the physical realms. Uh, but I wondered if you could explain... Uh, to the listeners, why, uh, how this was a karmic manipulation, how one person uh, can, mm. you know, change the karma of um, the world in some way. Um, well, it, yes, it, I mean, it's, I'm going to give this as an opinion, I think probably it's be shared by many, including yourself, that it was a, a massive karmic manipulation, because what should have really happened is the whole world 
should have recognized uh, Dr. King. The United Nations should have asked him for his advice and, and equally the advice of those who used him as primary terrestrial mental channel. Uh, you know, he should have received um, all sorts of honors, not that he particularly would have wanted them, from every authority you can think of, really. I mean, he was, I will say, on a personal level, uh, touched, very touched by two honours he did receive in this country. One was the freedom of the city, the other was a grant of arms. Um, but obviously, in my opinion, he should have received far, far more than that. But that doesn't really the main point. The main point is that from many organisations, the American Federation of Police, something again that was very meaningful to him, um, because he was a believer in law and order, um, he, this was a karmic manipulation. And this recognition from people on the earth, I would, in my opinion, and I must stress this is my opinion, it may even have extended his life upon earth. Uh, because it's karmically wrong for someone to do the sorts of things we've talked about in the Theorist Radio Live, to play the role that he played in the missions uh, in the lower astrals, Operation Carmelite, uh, and, and the alien mission and the others, to invent Operation Sunbeam, etc., etc., bring the Saturn mission to Earth and not be recognized. Mm. And this, although you could argue some of the recognition was very peripheral compared to what he should have got, it was recognition and it was sincerely given and it came from many sources. I mean, he was very touched, I know, also on a personal level to receive overtures from people like the Dunkirk veterans and the uh, the secret army uh, of Belgium who'd been in the resistance movement or a, a segment of them. We didn't, I must be honest, take great pains to investigate every single thing that came along. We didn't have time. We were focused on the cosmic missions. But these things, especially since he had taken the stance of a, of a conscientious objector and absolutely stood by that, 100%, nevertheless, by instinct, he was a fighting man, and he respected the courage of people who had fought in many occasions. And so these things were very meaningful to him. But much more important than that was the karma that was manipulated on behalf of the people of Earth, which thereby enabled him to do more. And I mean, there are a couple of occasions, I know we've got our break coming up, but I do remember myself where he... Um, one was when he had a, quite a serious operation. He was going in for an angioplasty operation in, in Los Angeles. And I do remember, as he was being virtually wheeled in on the stretcher, he phoned me to ask about a particular honor he was receiving. And I felt strongly that it was karmically necessary uh, for him to have that at that critical time, that dangerous time, you could say, for him. And another occasion, I remember, would be when he'd be about to perform a very important mission, such as the Saturn mission, and he would sometimes seem to need to receive, not for himself, I want to stress that. Uh, it wasn't a sort of an ego thing to him at all. It, actually, it didn't help us with publicity, and it doesn't help us with publicity in any way at all, because it's not understood, it's not really appreciated, it's not... Uh, people don't consider it necessary, and it isn't necessary, but it may have been karmically necessary. And, and on those missions, it was sometimes phone, and I felt it, it was really important that some honours were uh, distributed to him or received by him. And this really, I would say, the chivalric period and the recognition period lasted, you know, on and off for about 12 years, roughly, from through the 80s and into the very early 90s, but not, he carried on, but not through the whole of his life. And I think, I, as I stressed, in my opinion, I think it may well have extended his life and therefore what he could do for our world. Well, thank you very much, Richard. That's very interesting indeed. I remember in England when our master was, um, first became involved in chivalry and the many interesting characters that came along and really wanted to bestow honors on our master and, you know, as you say, this, is, this hasn't happened. This hadn't happened before. So it was a, a very, very interesting time. And out of this period of time, of course, came the order, our master's order, mm -hmm. the mystical order mm -hmm. of St. Peter. And yes. the listeners won't know, but Richard Lawrence is now the grand master of this order. So I would hand over to you to explain a little 
about this uh, wonderful order, actually. Well, we, we don't, I mean, do publicity about the order at all, the mystical order of St. Peter. It's not officially part of the Ethereum Society, although there's obviously a lot of links. Um, it was something, I mean, Prince Henry, who I mentioned earlier, the late Prince Henry, his dear wife, Princess Francoise, is still with us on the physical realm, but he's passed on now. He read the Nine Freedoms, and on one reading of the Nine Freedoms, came to the conclusion that uh, Dr. King is a cosmic master, and phoned me uh, from France, and he wanted, as a result of this, so impressed was he, uh, and this went way beyond the knighthood I mentioned, he wanted to bestow the highest honour which it's possible for him to bestow, and uh, which he'd never bestowed upon anyone else and never would bestow upon anyone else afterwards. And that was a prince title. And this was bestowed, in fact, at the Dorchester Hotel. It's not one that he used uh, outside the realms of his own order, but it enabled him to form his own order. And the key point I want to make is he used this, as well as being a karmic manipulation, as a way of transmitting his own lineages, his own power, if you like, his own transmission uh, of power, as all masters have done in various different ways. They all, and we'll talk after the break about the, uh, the title His Eminence and the ecclesiastical side uh, and why he did that. But it was a way, and through the order is one way, through which that link with him and all that he represents and his powers, at least a tiny part of it, is passed on uh, to those who uh, join this mystical order. Thank you, Richard. So we'll have a break now and continue after the announcements. Thank you. Well, wow. Thank you, Richard and Chrissy, for such an insight into our master, His Eminence George King. You are listening to A Serious Radio Live with hosts Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze talking about the knighthood and consecration of His Eminence Sir George King. Every Saturday and Sunday, you are very welcome to join us in the live online 12 Blessings service. And to find more about this, please visit 12blessings.org, and that is 12 in digits. By the way, this Friday, September 21st, to celebrate the International Day of Peace, we will be holding a special online service at 8 p.m. BST, 12 noon PDT, and 3 p.m. EDT. So please join in. This event will be synchronized with the hundreds of other events happening around the world at the same time. So Saturday, September 29th, sees another pilgrimage to Mount Baldy, South California. Saturday, October 13th, there is another King Yoga workshop, Heal the World, at the Aetherius Temple in Los Angeles. Regular activities are being held at the Michigan branch over this period. Also, at the Aetherius Temple in London, Saturday, September 29th, there is a two, You Too Can Heal workshop with Aya Malik and Jamie Bates. Tuesday, October 9th, there is a King Yoga workshop, Spiritual Energy, with Mervyn Smith. And at 12 midnight GMT, October 9th, sees the last hour of the third spiritual push for 2018. You are so warmly invited to attend London, Los Angeles and Michigan or any one of our centers where services will be held to mark this potent time when the giant spacecraft we know as the third satellite leaves the orbit of Earth, having flooded our world with much-needed spiritual energy since September the 3rd. And please remember, the next Aetherius Radio Live show will be on October 16th, when Chrissy Blaze will be joined by her husband, Gary Blaze, talking about King Yoga, the key to personal development. Please visit Aetherius.org for full details of events mentioned here. So that's it for now. So I'm very pleased to return you to your host, Richard Lawrence, and Quizzy Blaze. Well, thank you, Nikki, for your enthusiastic announcements. Yes, thank you, Nikki. On. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And that sounds great next month, Chrissy, you and Gary. Yes, yes, yes. that should be good. Um, as mentioned in this program, we're also talking about another vital part of our master's life, 
and legacy. That is his consecration and the whole ecclesiastical aspect of the Aetherius Society, I should say the Aetherius Church. As the senior mm-hmm. bishop in our church, Richard, consecrated by his eminence, perhaps you'd like to explain this aspect. Yes. Um, the first thing I'd say about it is that the Aetherius Society um, is no more Christian than is Buddhist or Hindu. In fact, you know, the, the, the name of our path is King Yoga, so we're very much a yoga organization. Um, and we could, again, there's been some misconceptions uh, in that respect. But I think uh, to give the background, before I get into the whole ecclesiastical side of the Aetherius churches, um, proceeding from the knighthoods and, the, and among the various other forms of recognition that he was uh, receiving, and which he would use karmically, I'm going to just give one example, um, he received certain recognition, before we get into the ecclesiastical side, from the exiled president of Free Poland, uh, who, who was living in London. Um, and this is during the communist era. And they, they'd continued in London. I mean, there, again, there are disputes about who's the genuine one, who isn't. But this particular individual became very interested in the Aetherius Society, actually joined the Aetherius Society, and bestowed upon... Um, Dr. King, certain honours uh, on behalf of the exiled government of free Poland. Uh, and Dr. King, though, the point I'd like to make is he used that. He used it absolutely. In fact, he made sure that this president requested officially on behalf of his exiled government certain spiritual help through Operation Prayer Power, which was then given... Um, and it was when there was talk of, of um, Soviet tanks rolling into Poland again because Poland became the first of the nations in Eastern Europe to break away from the Soviet uh, bloc. And I certainly don't believe that's by chance. And that's just one example. Uh, he used those connections, again, karmically, because as we know, he was a karmic chess player. And the, rec- the recognition he got enabled him to do more. And it started a ball rolling, which has led to what we know happened, and ultimately, eventually, I do remember him saying in the sort of mid-1980s that he wouldn't leave the planet until the uh, the, the Berlin Wall came down. And for, for younger people, that might sound a bit remote, but for people of our generation, Chrissy, it was yeah. kind of inconceivable that that wall would come down at that time. And it sure was. enough, in the late 80s, of course, it did come down. And, and, of course, Germany since been unified. So those are some of the things he used. One could go into a lot more, but well, let's move on to the ecclesiastical side. So among the recognition he was receiving were approaches from ecclesiastical sources. And he was advised that as the leader of an international religious organization, namely the Aetherius Society, uh, he could become an archbishop and form his own churches, And he was approached by someone in the liberal Catholic tradition. Again, that's disputed by some and not by others, but they claim to trace their lineage back through generations of bishops all the way back to uh, the first one, of course, St. Peter. And um, this particular bishop made this claim and said that he'd be honoured to arrange his consecration. Now... Dr. King didn't need this. <laughs> Frankly, the, the bishop's concern, and there were others present. He wasn't the only bishop at the ceremony. Um, they, they weren't of the same caliber or anywhere near it from a spiritual point of view as Dr. King himself. But that wasn't the point. Again, Dr. King being the magician, if you like, the karmic magician he was, he always wanted to anchor these things on the physical plane. He even does that with his missions. I won't get diverted here. But he, you know, taking it to a much higher level, he was adamant that Operation Earthlight, one of the missions, would have to be done on the physical plane. And, uh, you know, if you like, in a lesser way, he wanted to anchor these honours. Now, but at the same time, he wanted to be sure that this was the correct procedure, that this was legitimate, that this was authorised by the higher powers. And the source that he went to was the highest source you can go to, if you're able to, upon earth, namely the Lord Babaji himself. And the Lord Babaji uh, informed him that uh, he had every right 
to, even without a consecration, to declare himself as an archbishop. I mean, he, he, he realized, Dr. King realized, that from the moment, for example, that he met the Master Jesus um, on Holston Down on July the 23rd, 1958, and that mountain was then charged through him, uh, he could have immediately declared himself a bishop, or after the giving of the Twelve Blessings, he could have declared himself a bishop. He'd had a much more direct link with the Master Jesus through those things than any consecration by any physical person on the physical plane could bring him. But still, he, agreed, he decided to go through with this, and he did it under the advice of the Lord Babaji. And he wouldn't have done it without that advice. Uh, and he, in, he in harnessed a terrestrial-based episcopal authority, virtually, if you like, as a karmic anchor. And so he was consecrated again in New York, as it happened. Well, it was another trip to New York on August the 23rd, 1980. But in the ceremony, there was a stipulation made that he was released from any obligations other than to his own church. And actually, seven years later, the Lord Babaji put a stamp of authority upon, upon this, and he spoke on behalf of the Great White Brotherhood as well, and he said this, as far as we are concerned, you were consecrated as a bishop, and the consecration went even further than that, in that we were present and did pass on certain powers. So, in other words, the Lord Babaji himself was present at that ceremony, and he passed on certain powers. So again, the point I'd like to make, and as I stressed, we're, we're no more Christian than we're Buddhist or that we're Hindu. Uh, you know, we, we are a path which is a universal spiritual path, um, that the source, the ultimate source of his ecclesiastical uh, connections is the Lord Babaji himself. Just as in the chivalric side, it's the Lord Buddha. So there you have the two highest beings on earth, the Kamara of Shambhala, and even higher than him, the spiritual head of the hierarchy of earth, the Lord Babaji. And the Lord Babaji uh, authorized this. And later, uh, in 1987, as you referred to, when Dr. King decided to consecrate two bishops, Lady Monique, his wife, and myself, and decided to set up the Synod, which you are on, of course, Chrissy, now, I should add. But originally it was just the three of us. Uh, that was Dr. King, his wife, and me. Um, then that was all done under the direction and guidance of the Lord Babaji. And I just want to add, it was not done, initially at least, in consultation with myself, and as far as I know, nor with Monique. It was something that... Uh, Dr. King knew had to be done, and he didn't doubt it, and he proceeded to do it. And what he really did was to adopt uh, the ecclesiastical structures which existed within an Orthodox church, the Orthodox church, shall we say. Um, and he did this not in any way to uh, try to appease or to befriend or to satisfy any orthodox thinkers, because in fact they would probably regard it as a heretical thing anyway. He did it because he understood, and he used, I will just add, some of the writings of, of Leadbeater on this topic, who was himself a bishop in the liberal Catholic Church, I believe. Um, he understood the mystical meaning of the rituals, the accoutrements, and, and then he set up within the Ethereum Society an ecclesiastical structure which is used to, again, pass on his lineages, pass on his successions, conduct rituals, even the most important one we ever conduct uh, of initiation into our missions task force um, and all other aspects onto our staff, these are all conducted through the ecclesiastical structure uh, as well as the initiation of, of members and they're all ways of him passing on his lineages, his lineage I should say, uh, his lines of succession as all masters have done uh, through this system and he, he decided to use it, if you like, to purify it, you could say, I would say that, and take it on to a higher level and use it. And it's very fitting for us because our form of worship that we use, our main form of worship, is the 12 blessings delivered by the Master Jesus. It fits very, very well. 
but of course we use it as anyone who comes to our meetings will know alongside Buddhist mantra, certain Hindu practices and New Age uh, practices, some given by the Master Ethereus, for example. So this is a, a really important uh, reason, I believe, wasn't it, Richard, for setting up his own church, was this apostolic yeah. succession, this um, passing yeah. on an aspect of his power, this mystical um, aspect of succession, and yes. how into the future uh, we will have an aspect, we'll be able to go back through the lineage to his eminence, Sir George King, and this, this yes. power will be passed through the generations, as it is uh, the Catholic Church, I believe, too, but in a much Indeed. different way. And I, and I should say that the, he, he adopted, the, the, under advice again, the title His Eminence. Um, and again, we don't use this too widely because some people think that's the title of a cardinal or what, whatever they might think. Um, and we don't want to get into theological debates or arcane debates, as I said earlier, about these matters particularly. He had every right to adopt it. He adopted it. We use it. So if anybody would attend, for example, any of our meetings, our, our services, they will hear him referred to his eminence, Sir George King, and that's because of his position as an archbishop and his knighthoods. But as I want to stress, if they want to know ultimately the ultimate source of authority of these two things for the his eminence title, it would be, in my opinion, it would, and, and, and according to actually the records as I've explained them, the Lord Babaji, and in terms of the knighthood, it would be the Lord Buddha. Yes. <laughs> now, one can't get any higher than that. And that's the and root also, of it. Um, yeah. Richard, he passed on an aspect of his power through through the knighthoods of the mystical order too, I believe. Exactly, but, as um, I mentioned earlier, yeah. That, yeah. That, that, that was passed on through the dubbing into that order. Yes, indeed. And, and so, you know, this I, it's my opinion again, and we'll have to see what happens. There'll come a time when this will be better understood and free of baggage and free of prejudice. And I think people will quite happily refer to him in that way just generally. Uh, but in the meantime, we, he wasn't bothered, and he, all, you know, we, we just get on and we refer to him as Dr. King. But we do want to explain it and explain why it's, it is used and why people will encounter it and what it really does mean. And there's nothing new about it. I think you'll find that uh, many of uh, all the avatars, probably in some way or another, take on uh, a, a title of some kind. Uh, the Lord, often the Lord, the Lord Buddha, the Lord Jesus. The, you know the Lord Krishna sometimes uh, various other titles and it's right and proper that they should do because they should be given the veneration they deserve um, and he didn't push for it it came along and he accepted it he knew it was necessary he knew it was right and though that's the title that we use for him in our mystical events yes also, Richard, I don't know if we have the time, but um, I know that you've studied a lot about discipleship in different I have, religions yes. and what mm. this means um, in the Ethereum Society, in the New Age, um, in various religions. Would, would you care to share um, your thoughts with us on that? Yes, I think it's interesting that, you know, there are lines of succession and there's nothing at all new about this, and you can find it in a whole variety of sources, which... Uh, I've been thinking a lot about recently, actually. I mean, I'd just like to mention um, one, I think, very interesting thing, which may or may not be believed by people, but is recorded. As a matter of fact, I had an inquiry today from a rabbi, so it's quite fitting to talk about this. And it, it refers back to an incident people may know about, and it's recorded in the Bible in the Old Testament, I, probably the book of Genesis, but I, I would think. Uh, so very, very early in what would be called by in the Hebrew sources as the Torah. And it, it's an, an interesting account, though, because it makes a very important mystical point, I believe. This is my interpretation of it, I must stress. And the story runs that Isaac, who was supposed to be the son of Abraham, not that we don't necessarily believe there was a person called Abraham, by the way, but certainly the story is a very symbolic story, and then his son is supposed to be Isaac, and Isaac had at least two, I think two sons, he may have had more, but two main ones, maybe more, I don't know. One was Esau and one was Jacob, and the Esau was, I think, the older one, and the one who was ex expected to get his successions. 
Um, I'll just before I go any further, I think Abraham's a very interesting word. It's very close to the word Brahma, indeed. But I'll just put that on one side for the moment. Um, so he was going to conduct a particular ritual of some kind to pass on his successions. And he had to uh, physically do this through some method that uh, I wouldn't know. It's not described. But he had to touch the forearm, because he was blind, I believe, by that time, of, of Esau. And in fact, Jacob, according to the story, put his arm forward and covered it with some fur so that he would think it was Esau's, whose forearm was more furry. That's the sort of story. But the interesting thing to me is though, that once he'd done this, he, and, and according to the Bible, it was virtually done in error, it was meant to be Esau and it was given to Jacob, it couldn't be undone. That's the point I want to make. And it was Jacob who took over this lineage, and from Jacob came, of course, Joseph and the other sons and the twelve tribes and all the rest of it. And that's how the lineage went down. I would just throw in that where you get bloodline lineages, uh, which you do in various traditions, including monarchies and so on, those are much weaker, much weaker, uh, and not sufficient from a mystical point of view. They, they, it's not impossible, by the way, but a mystical, uh, ritualistic um, succession is a much more powerful thing. And you see it especially in the East. I mean, to take the wonderful Yogananda, for example, he received the, the transmission, or he was the disciple of, as we know, Sri Yogeshwar, although it is revealed in his autobiography that, in fact, he was sent uh, to Sri Yogeshwar by the Lord Babaji, so Sri Yukteswar's master was Lahiri Mahasaya, and Lahiri Mahasaya's master was the Lord Babaji. And it's very clear that Yogananda's goal uh, was to actually serve the Lord Babaji and hoped uh, after his lifetime of service in the West, wonderful, wonderful service, what a wonderful uh, evangelist for spirituality in the West and true yoga teaching, um, his goal was to return to Lord Babaji's um, you know, company and, and enter his ashram after his demise. And I've got no reason to think that he hasn't done, by the way. But again, the point is there. You have another kind of a lineage and you have the same thing in, in Tibetan Buddhism. And one could go on at length. You have a, a similar thing in, in Egyptian mysticism, as well as, of course, as you mentioned, the orth even in orthodoxy. This is where the Catholic tradition would part company from what they call the low church tradition. And, and, and they did away with this in, and they still have done in, in certain branches of Christianity. But the Catholic and the Orthodox traditions trace their lineages. It's important to them to trace their lineages uh, back to St. Peter because of the successions that they believe are then passed down. They can be watered down. They can be thinned down depending on the behavior and the conduct of the, of the conduits for this succession. And uh, we've got some very questionable ones, it uh, has to be said, in, among the papacy in, in the past. Uh, but uh, you only have to look at the Borgias, just to name one. But at the same time, you know, that is the tradition. And it, it's universal. The Shankacharyas, uh, the, there are, I believe, four uh, that, that pass from that lineage, and so on and so on. Uh, certainly the Guru Padmasambhava, uh, passed on through various uh, turtons. And then, then there's the direct transmission through contacts. Uh, I mean, for example, Madame Blavatsky, let's mention a woman because it's yeah. so important to remind people uh, some of the maid disciples actually were women. Um, uh, for example, you, I suppose you wouldn't quite call her a disciple, but Nefertiti, wife of Akhenaten, according to legend anyway, and, and is believed to have carried on his his incredible um, departure into doing away with the uh, some of the sort of more primitive gods, so-called, and and worshiping the sun, and she's said to have carried that on. And, you know, as you can tell, I could go on at length, and I, I probably should bring this to a call, but I would like to stress there's nothing new about this. It, it's, a, it's a way of transmitting successions and spreading the light of the, of the source. And in the case of the Aetherocyte, the source is his eminence, Sir George King. Well, thank you so much, Richard. I'm so glad that you've explained this in Aetherius Radio Live because it's often very difficult for newer people to understand why our master was 
involved in these things. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we close? Um, well, there's so much I could add. I mean, I could <laughs> mention many, many disciples as a, uh, and go on at some length about it. But um, what I would say is it, it's something that I do believe has a, has a future, uh, that I do mm. believe that people... It's not, and what I want to stress here, too, is you do not have to have physically met the person of mm. whom you are a disciple. And there are lots of great examples of this in Paul, being one of the greatest. I um, mean, St. Paul did not physically, while he was alive, meet the, the Master Jesus. He uh, was impressed by him on the famous road to Damascus after the resurrection and then became one of his most avid, avid disciples, I would say, beyond all doubt. Um, you know, we tend to think uh, those, of, those of us raised in Christianity can fall into the trap of thinking the only disciples were the twelve. Uh, not true at all. Uh, in fact, some of the followers of Jesus um, didn't have the courage to even enter Jerusalem with him. Yeah. And um, they say that, just, just to give one example, that St. Mark was one of those, and then he later came back, of course, followed St. Peter. There are some amazing stories but I, uh, that's a point I really would like to stress. And so I've been very lucky. For 20 years, I, I spoke to Dr. King every day. I've said that many times. The last 20 years of his life, either on the phone or, or in person, had this very you know, physical connection with him as well as spiritual. But it, I know people who've never met him, who nevertheless would certainly qualify uh, to become disciples of his eminence, Sir George King, and that lineage can be passed through to them, and that mystical connection could be greater, actually, with him, even than some people who physically met him. That's a very, very interesting point, and, and very encouraging, too, I think, for the future. Uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was mentioning, and then I, I sort of interrupted myself, but Madame Blavatsky, her master, known as the Master M, uh, sometimes referred to as Moriah, I do wonder if there's any connection there with Maitreya or not, but that's just me, that's just an aside. But the point is, I don't know that she physically met him in that life. I'm not sure, I haven't studied mm. that to find that out. But she was able, though, to receive uh, connections with him, in her case, in the ways that she did, through remote viewing and so forth. Um, in the case of Alice Bailey, uh, she had, uh, had, had contacts, of course, uh, with uh, the Master D.K., certainly, without physically meeting him. Um, and, and another lady, Mabel Collins, actually, with the Master Hilarion, who, who wrote The Light on the Path. Um, these are all examples, and there are many others in, in history. And there are also, I, I think, interesting examples of people who wouldn't really call themselves disciples and wouldn't even regard it exactly as religious, but were very closely connected to someone and might have taken some of their power. For example, I don't know much about this, but it's said that Nikola Tesla uh, was very, very close to Mark Twain. In fact, healed Mark Twain, it said. And Mark Twain became a real acolyte of his. So oh, it, it could stretch beyond. And another of my favorites, I must, I'll, leave, I'll part on this one, is the famous Count Cagliostro, who definitely was connected to um, Count St. Germain, who described, of course, by Voltaire as the man who never dies. I think that was the exact character, or a man who never dies. One could say a lot more, Chrissy, but um, in the theory side, we're very fortunate. We have these lineages. We have them through the grace of, of, uh, of his eminence, Sir George King, as we'll now call him in this program, and all the uh, successions and the contacts, the numerous contacts and connections he had in some probably very small degree, very small degree, but are nevertheless passed on through uh, the society and the order that he created. Well, thank you very much, Richard. This is a fascinating show. And uh, let's hand over to Nikki, shall we, for our, our closing announcements. Thank Certainly. you. Well, I, I have to admit, it was a fantastic, fascinating show. And thank you so much, Richard and Chrissy. We have learned so much today about His Eminence of George King. You have been listening to Ethereus Radio Live, which is your cosmic connection the third Tuesday of each month. The next show will be on October the 16th when Chrissy Blaze will be joined by her husband, Gary Blaze, talking about King Yoga, the key to personal development. 
As always, our website, aseries.org, has more information and details of the various publications and audio titles on CD or download. Please connect with Chrissy Blaze and Richard Lawrence by visiting their respective websites, chrissyblaze.com and richardlawrence.co.uk. Please remember, the last hour of the first virtual push for 2018 starting at 12 midnight GMT on October the 9th. And also, please remember, Friday, September 21st, the International Day of Peace and join us online at 12blessings.org. We do hope you have enjoyed listening to Aetherius Radio Live and we look forward to being with you next month. Bye for now.